0: Welcome to Friends of Fire, the podcast that bridges the gap between fire science research and natural resource management. My name is Marynell Armstrong with Southern Fire Exchange, and today we will be talking with Jay Cantrell and Dr. Michael Chamberlain about eastern wild turkeys and prescribed fire. Jay Cantrell is a wildlife biologist and the Assistant Big Game Program Coordinator with the South Carolina Department of Natural Resources. Jay received his bachelor's and master's degrees in wildlife biology from Clemson University and now works statewide on research, survey, and management of wild turkey, white-tailed deer, and black bears. He is also involved in public information, technical assistance, and legislative and regulatory issues related to those species. He serves on the National Wild Turkey Federation National Technical Committee and the Southeast Wild Turkey Working Group. He has over 20 years of professional experience as a wildlife biologist and has burned thousands of acres for wildlife and timber on private and public lands. Dr. Michael Chamberlain is the Terrell Distinguished Professor of Wildlife Ecology and Management in the Warnell School of Forestry and Natural Resources at the University of Georgia. Mike has been at UGA for nine years after spending 11 years on the wildlife faculty at Louisiana State University. Mike completed his undergraduate degree at Virginia Tech and both his master's of science and PhD degrees at Mississippi State University. He has studied wild turkeys for the past 27 years, having worked with them in a variety of landscapes throughout the US. Mike has been conducting applied research detailing how wild turkeys respond to prescribed fire, and this research is the most extensive work currently available on the topic. Thank you both so much for being here today. I'm excited to have professionals with such extensive and diverse experience with wild turkey management. So first, I'd love to hear from both of you how you got into working with wild turkeys, what you enjoy about it, and what's special about this kind of work to you.
1: I'll start with that. It's it's kind of a long winding road, but um, I guess as I started out as a wildlife biologist, you know, about 20 years ago, I... Um, I was working just with game species in general and, uh, you know, deer, turkeys, bears, quail, a little bit of everything, but, but I've always had a, a, a real interest and passion in turkeys. I started hunting them as a young teenager and so they, they've always fascinated me and, and, uh, I've had a lot of interest in them so that, yeah, it was always something as I was just a kind of generalist game biologist that I, I would focus on. But then when I was um, working uh, in the Low Country, of South Carolina, at, at the Webb Wildlife Center, we started doing a research project uh, on wild turkeys and um, worked with Dr. Brett Collier, who, who works a lot uh, with Dr. Chamberlain on, on research projects. And, and that really kind of took me into a whole nother level um, of, of delving into working with these birds and understanding uh, the research project. and and, and how that works so uh, from there it kind of went into where I'm in my current position as a in the big game program with South Carolina DNR where in South Carolina wild turkeys are big game so um, you know working with deer, turkeys and bears in the state and so that that's been very enjoyable to kind of go from a, a habitat level you know property management level to looking at things from a statewide and regional aspect and you know, going from just the managing the bird itself on a on a property to trying to uh to manage it on a on a statewide level and, you know, starting to look at things like harvest and hunter effort and uh and those things. So it's, you know, it's been kind of a long process that went from from just working with them in general to to managing habitats and then and then now managing on a, a larger level. But you know, I enjoy it because it's just such a challenge. You know, these birds are, uh, they're so unique and they're, they're, they're so interesting and and we learn something about them all the time. And, uh, and every time you think you, you know, everything about them, you're, you're proven wrong and and we keep learning. So I think that's, that's, you know, something that's special about it. And, and they're, you know, we're, we're up against a challenge. You know, a lot of our species are doing well turkeys in the Southeast have, have declined. And so, we don't like to see that, but as a manager, it's it's always fun to try to crack that code and and figure out what we can do to, to turn that
2: tide and improve things for them. So, so yeah. So so my story is um is a little less winding. Um, I grew up as a turkey hunter and was given the option to to go to grad school at Mississippi State and and. In, when I was offered the position I was actually offered three different positions Um, and the person that that served in my as my advisor said basically hey Mike just I have three openings here pick one and the project that seemed the most appealing to me was working with turkey so I said hey I'll take that turkey project and and I really had no research experience at all with, with this bird. And from there, I did my doctoral work on, on wild turkeys as well. And as soon as I left Mississippi State, I, I went to the faculty at LSU. And, and as soon as I walked in the door, the state agency offered me the opportunity to, to, to run a research project on, on wild turkeys there. And, and I've been studying the bird ever since. Um, As far as what I enjoy about it, man, this bird is a really interesting critter. And the more that I've learned about it, to to Jay's points, the more I realize we don't, we don't lack, I mean, we lack, we don't have a really solid understanding of what makes this bird tick. We learn stuff every day that that we didn't know. That's what makes it special to me, is I see where we have flaws and where we have gaps in our knowledge. Uh, Jay mentioned the the declining population trends we're seeing in the South. Those same trends are are popping up in other regions of the country. And that causes me um, to kind of focus my mind and dedicate myself to trying to figure out what's causing those declines. And more importantly, what do we do about it? So that's kind of what gets me up in the morning um, to study this bird. And this, this bird is pretty much, at this point, become my, my academic career for the most part. This is, I mean, I, I study other stuff, but this is pretty much the animal right now that dominates my day-to-day job.
0: Thank you. And I'm glad you both mentioned the recent decline of turkey populations in the southeast. Jay, i was wondering if you could tell us a bit about the history of eastern wild turkeys in the united states i've read that their population numbers have gone through some significant ups and downs throughout the years
1: yeah absolutely they have um, and and yeah i can kind of give you a brief summary of kind of where they have come from and 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 just to kind of start as far as where they're at you know the eastern wild turkey Roughly inhabits about the eastern half of the U.S. So if you look from about East Texas, kind of draw a jagged line up to to Minnesota and and eastward of there, that's in general where they where they are. And um, and according to you know all the early written accounts, when the first Europeans arrived here in North America, turkeys were abundant. Um, you know, and they all the accounts it it seems like they were thriving and doing well throughout colonization and and settlement and you know and on up until probably the early 1900s they slowly steadily declined across their range um yeah that was due to probably a combination of of a couple things one would be over harvest uh, over utilization and uh you know, just a general lack of protection and then habitat change. You know, you had to think there was, there was large scale clearing of, of forested areas for agriculture, um, you know, and, and settlements. So I think probably the combination of, of major habitat change over harvest, uh, you know, probably could have been some, maybe some disease introductions from some domestic fowl, but, uh, but you know, mostly it was it was just overutilization. So they probably bottomed out about the 1920s, 1930s, uh, and they were you know, extirpated from a lot of areas and just kind of holding on in some some habitats that were hard to access, you know, river swamps or mountains, and and they you know kind of stayed in that that level of, of a very low population for a couple decades or so what started kind of in the early and 1900s though you, you started seeing some things uh that that caused them to rebound a little bit you know enforcement efforts laws put in place to protect wildlife game and fish agency establishments. so some of the overharvest, overutilization over utilization started to to go away reforestation started in the 1940s yeah you, know, you gotta think a lot of this country was cleared in the you know late 1800s early 1900s uh and then restocking for turkeys uh started in the 1960s and really hit its heyday in the 70s and 80s and probably into even to the early 90s so those numbers started rebounded uh, with restocking and i'll briefly mention that you know there were some efforts early on to, to try to reintroduce turkeys into areas by um, using um, pin-raised birds. And, and those efforts failed miserably. And then the advent of the rocket net and capture and, you know, transport and relocation of birds uh, is what really uh, made things take off. And so they were reintroduced in the 70s 80s 90s and it just thrived you know there were birds put into habitats where they hadn't been in maybe 100 years and and they they did well as as is often the case when you you know reintroduce uh, a species you know that they're they're new to the area they've got plenty of uh, resources available that you know predators are naive to them and and they just thrive and so that happened and um But what we've seen particularly here in the southeast is those numbers kind of peaked out about the turn of the century you know around the around 2000 early 2000s and then we've seen this 15 or so year slow, steady decline um across most of the the south and and as as mike mentioned a lot of the rest of the country is starting to see some of those same trends that that's kind of what we're up against now as we saw this great success uh with restoration and things kind of topped out and we expected like a lot of times when you restore population it will peak and it'll kind of drop off a little bit and and level out into a a new normal what's been concerning with with the wild turkey is that most places it hasn't leveled out and it continues on this downward trend so that's what we're up against now and 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 that's where the the research and and the management come together to try to Stop that downward trend and at least get it to level out, if not pick back up.
0: What do you think some of the causes could be for this recent decline?
2: Um, how much time, How much time do we have? Um, yeah, so it's it's a pretty complex question. We I, I liken it to I've said this on numerous podcasts and in various outlets. It's it's death by a thousand cuts, really. Um, this species is adapted to being able to see first and foremost that's how they that's how they survive is they use their vision to avoid predation and to be able to see you need habitat that's conducive to vision so across the south and much of the eastern united states you're seeing forest communities that are not as well managed as they could be in many ways, they're not managed like they were historically. Therefore, y- you have some habitat issues um, that are causing loss of early successional plant communities. That's that's bad for for turkeys. Uh, fragmentation issues. We've we've fragmented the the United States and in, in many areas to the point where we've created ideal predator habitat uh, at the detriment of of other species that don't deal with fragmentation as well and turkeys are an example of that um Jay mentioned disease issues we have a lot of disease issues of which we have a very poor understanding of how those diseases affect birds at the population level there's a chance they don't there's a chance that they do in a much more dramatic way than we we currently understand you you have a harvested species that in many Cases uh, is harvested in, in both the fall and the spring. We, we think we have a fairly decent understanding of how harvest affects this bird. Um, but the more we, we learn, we realize that perhaps harvest may be a little more impactful than we've than we've thought historically. So you, you wrap all of that together and you have a, a complex series of, of things that are. That are not. There's not a smoking gun, if you will. There's a lot of issues that are all, no pun intended, kind of pecking away uh, at this bird, and that that's that's consistent with the declines that we've seen. That they're not dramatic. They're very they're precipitous, but they're not dramatic. Um, very subtle changes from year to year. That if you just compared one year to two or three years later, or two or three years earlier. Doesn't really appear to be that big of a problem. You look at the data across 15 years like Jay mentioned and all of a sudden you realize We have a problem. Uh, That's pretty much where where turkeys in the east stand at this point
0: What kinds of habitats do these birds need in order to be successful?
1: Yeah, and they you know They're somewhat I don't know that call them generalist, but they're they're pretty opportunistic so you can find them about anywhere, but they, they would thrive more in, in kind of a mixed, uh, forest, open land habitat. You know, they, they're not going to do well in a, you know, vast, purely agricultural setting. They're not going to do well in, you know, a unbroken forested, you know, vast forested tracks without a lot of openings. Um, so, you know, they, they really need a a mix of habitats, you know, because just because of their their dietary needs and their their structural needs, you know, they're they're a roosting bird. They spend, you know, they they spend the night in trees, so they have to have good roosting habitat. So that can limit where they're found. They they need insects, they need hard and soft mass, they need grasses and forbs so that's why you know it's basically anywhere where you have some diversity or mix of habitat which is a lot of the eastern u.s if you think about it but that you know where they're going to thrive is in those areas where they have the most diversity of habitats and where they're going to struggle is where you have a larger homogenous habitat type
0: and mike how does fire play a role in managing for those kinds of habitats
2: yeah i mean in the in the in the southeast at least in, in pine dominated communities you you struggle mightily to manage turkey habitat without fire. Um, fire is also important in, in other in other systems in the United States, but turkeys and fire in the southeast are inextricably linked to one another. The the plant communities that respond positively to prescribed fire are the plant communities that provide reproductive habitat, whether it be nesting cover, brooding habitat, uh, succulent vegetation that uh, that attracts insects, which are a, a super important part of the diet for this bird. So, without fire, at least in pine-dominated systems, you you really, in, in many ways, you can't manage successfully for turkey habitat. Not saying turkeys will not be present, but you are not going to have the ability to provide optimal habitat quality without the use of fire.
0: And Jay, how do you manage for wild turkeys and why? Do you use prescribed fire in your practices?
1: Absolutely, uh, and, and just going to what Mike said, in, you know, in much of the Southeast, we, we're, we're in a pine dominated landscape, you know, particularly the coastal plain of the Southeast and, and large portions of the Piedmont, uh, are are pine dominated and, and without fire, those, those pine stands just are not good habitat for turkeys. Um, so fire is probably one of the best management tools in, in the Southeast for, for turkeys. You know, there's other, things that go hand in hand with it, you know, timber management can't be neglected as well. I mean, without, without proper timber management, uh, you're not getting the full benefits of fire. So, you know, frequent thinnings, getting basal areas down to a, an air, you know, a, a level where you're getting sunlight to the ground and you can get some good understory development with fire, you know, and creating, you know, opening management, you know, creating and managing, uh, openings for birds. Cause that's, critical for, particularly for their um, brood rearing uh, and and summer forage. But, uh, but yeah, use fire a lot, you know, and that's mainly just to kind of create that, that ideal understory environment, you know, uh, a lot of diversity, you know, with uh, good ground cover. And as Mike mentioned earlier, you know, this bird, has to have good visibility. Um, I mean, that's, you know, if they can't see, they're not going to want to be there. You know, they want to be able to see danger coming and they want to be able to run away or fly away. And when you get into some of these pine stands that have an absence of fire, uh, visibility goes away and, and their mobility goes away and they're just going to leave those areas. Um, so if you want them to use the habitat, you have to keep it open, to where they can see and move. Uh, And then you have to have that fire to create that ground cover. That's going to provide the the grasses and forbs and seeds they eat. And it's also going to provide the insects that they're they're so heavily dependent on and, and just the, for the nesting structure and the the brood rearing habitat. So you got to have those grasses and forbs. And so you have to have that frequent fire to get that. Otherwise you're going to, the habitat's going to succeed into having more hardwood and shrubs and, and, you know, more of a mid-story component and you're going to lose that habitat. So yeah, we use fire extensively for, for habitat management of turkeys. They're, you know, quail gets called the firebird, but, uh, turkeys aren't, aren't far behind. You know, they've evolved with it and they're adapted to it and they need it.
0: When you say frequent fire, what kind of range are you referring to?
1: Right. Yeah. That, that's a great point. Um, frequency, probably is one of the most important things when we're, we're looking at, at managing the, for turkeys. And, and I would say two to three year is what we strive for. Some blocks might get burned annually or every four years, but two to three years is, is ideal for frequency. What the research has shown, and Mike can probably speak more to this, is that you know, once you get past that, the birds aren't using that habitat as much, you know, particularly for, for nesting and brood rearing. Uh, you know, once you get out past three years, post-burn that habitat quality just gets to where the birds leave it to go, try to find something that that's there. So frequency is important. And then just speaking to fire management in in general for turkeys, patchwork burns, you know, you want to have a good mosaic of burned and unburned or, you know, a, a one year rough against a two year rough against a three year rough. Um, because they need so many different things throughout the year. And one, you know, one year rough might be good for brood rearing. A two year might be good for nesting. You know, and they, they need all these things interspersed within their range. Uh, and then, you know, a lot of the stuff too, you're not going to get some of your, your soft mast until two to three years post-burn. So you, you got to have a diversity in there. And that's why frequency is probably the most important thing well it's probably side by side with size of burn you know you can you know we want to get into if we want to go down that road you know there's you can definitely have too large of a burn block um i'm sure michael hit on some of that in a minute but but yeah i I concentrate a lot on on trying to keep that two to three year frequency in, in place
0: mike did you want to add anything to that um, yeah, yeah, a couple. Frequency.
2: Sure, yeah, sure. Sure. Um, a couple things that Jay mentioned are 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 pretty important. Um, one is basal area. That that's one of the the biggest issues I see um, when I visit properties or when I when I'm out in the field. I see fire being applied to stands that have exceptionally high basal area. And I often speak with landowners and I, and I ask about that. And their response is often, well, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to, to manage for birds. I'm trying to help the turkeys. And my response is always the same is, is fire and basal area go hand in hand. So with a high basal area, all you're doing is consuming fuel on the ground. You're not creating turkey habitat. So, you know, Jay mentioned that that really you have to to look at the basal area from the perspective of if there's, if all you're doing with your fire is consuming needle cast, then you're not managing turkey or or much other wildlife habitat. So I always encourage people, you know, hey, if there's not sunlight reaching the ground, you're not going to benefit from a fire regime as well as you would if you do have, sunlight reaching the ground. As far as the, the timing of fire, I mean the, um, the frequency of fire, Jay was is pretty much spot on. What we see is um, once you get about three years post-burn in most pine dominated stands in, in the south and east, you're no longer in a situation where birds are going to use it. If they do happen to nest in those stands, Nest success is zero, literally zero. We, we've, we've not had a single out of 650 plus nest hatch in a stand that was managed with fire greater than three years after a fire event. And, and the reason is pretty simple. At that point, it's predator habitat. It's, it's dominated by woody species and it's not structurally what turkeys want and need. So you're you're really looking at kind of a range. What, what ends up happening is we see a, a lot of use by broods the the year of the fire. So let's just say it was burned this this growing season. They'll use it this growing season. We see a lot of, of brood use of one year fire events. Uh, we do see some nesting and and the say the year after fire, but most nesting is occurring in, in two and three year type post-fire event stands. And that makes sense when you look at them, and I'm, I'm kind of generalizing here, Jay mentioned this, you know, every stand is different, but, but uniformly kind of speaking in generalities, the two to three year return interval seems to be about the sweet spot for turkeys um, he, he mentioned, you know, patchwork, and, and that's that's key. What what we see, and this is a this is a pretty interesting finding. But what we've seen with with our broods, and if if you're not real familiar with with turkey broods, basically you've got a, a group of young birds that that are carnivores. They they eat entirely insects for for weeks. And they're doing that because they're, try, they're molting constantly. They're, they're molting feathers and they're growing feathers and so they're, they're ravenous, you, you can't fill them up. Well, the hen uh, moves this brood around but the brood takes charge and they kind of, they let their encounter rates for, for prey, for bugs, dictate how they move. Broods that move a lot die. Broods that don't move a lot live. Uh, and that's kind of the, sh- the short of it. So what causes a brood to move is their encounter rates with insects is low. So if they don't encounter insects, they keep walking. And if they keep walking, they die. So what we've found is that broods that move eight, nine thousand, you know, eight, 900 meters or yards, of, you know, at a time, these broods, they get smoked, they, they, they die. So, when you start thinking about heterogeneity, you start thinking about, okay, how do I plan my burn units? You literally want a quilt. You want a patchwork if you can, where you're burning some of your stands this year, you're burning some next year. Now, I understand the logistical constraints with that. I understand the finances behind it, but but be thinking heterogeneous if you can. Um, and that that speaks to the scale issue which i i know is something we want to, we want to discuss but when when you can try to plan your fires in a patchwork type way to where you're not causing these broods to walk long distances and and think about this scenario so you're a nest you're sitting at a nest site and you're 2000 yards you're 2000 meters from the nearest high quality brood habitat you're you're basically mandating that hen take that brood over a mile that's not positive and, and what we've seen is that the sweet number seems to be about 800 meters if she can get that brood from that nest to quality brood habitat in less than that distance their survival probability skyrockets so if you start thinking about managing with fire um, And and thinking about how far away do these burn units need to be from one another, that's your number. Uh, And when you start, I've I've done this just for kind of practicality purposes. I've taken maps of properties that I've worked on or, or do research on, and I've drawn a circle around places that I knew nest were. And what you see often is there is not brood habitat within 800 yards of a lot of nest, And part of that is a lack of prescribed fire. Part of that is simply changes in habitat conditions. But, but if you can be thinking about a patchwork where your patchwork keeps your birds within 800 yards ish to good brood cover and good brood cover in a fire sense would be burned this year or last year then you, you're you giving the birds a fighting chance.
0: Do you think that for land managers that might not have the option to cut up their burn units into tiny pieces and spend a lot of days burning them that they could manage for increased heterogeneity within one large unit to kind of have that same effect?
2: Uh, yeah, absolutely ways you can go about doing that, and and people that that use fire know this, but things that cause changes in fire behavior like riparian areas and, you know, those things contribute to heterogeneity, even if the patch size is larger than, say, would be ideal. The the issue that we see from the perspective of size is that turkeys don't view burn units like we do. And, and what I mean by that is I walk out to a a fire and I look across the stand and I see a riparian area that's, let, let's just, I'm just pulling numbers here. It's four or 500 yards from where I'm standing. And I think to myself, well, she could just walk right across there. They don't do that. Turkeys perceive fire differently than, than we do. And what we found is pretty pretty consistent across all of the birds we've tracked that have used fire-managed stands. They stay within about 250 meters of the edge for several weeks after the fire event. And what you then see is a, a really concentrated use of the edge, and that makes sense if you think about it. One, escape covers in an adjacent unburned stand, but more importantly is insects recolonize from outside of the burn event so if you if you kind of think about it you have these two stands that are adjacent to each other you burn one you don't burn the other well if you if you significantly alter the vegetation inside the stand that you burn which usually happens you're asking insects to recolonize from outside so it takes some time and and it almost moves in kind of waves you know so you can kind of it does make sense if you think about it hey I'm going to stick around the edge that's where the bugs are that's where the bugs are recolonizing and if something happens I can you know I can shoot over into this adjacent unburned area and and escape you know whatever's after me We see that not only from a foraging perspective but also a roost perspective they they don't go to the interior of these stands so I say all that just to point out that that the size really does seem to matter. And it, if, you, if you kind of put 250 meters in, in, in your checkbook and think about it for several weeks after a fire event, if you, even if you have things that cause you to think there's heterogeneity across this, this larger burn block, the birds themselves may not perceive that the same as you and I do.
0: thanks for listening to friends of fire we'll continue this discussion in the next episode wild turkeys and prescribed fire part two where we'll discuss challenges in managing turkey habitat public perceptions of prescribed fire and its effects on turkey populations the effect of growing season fire on turkeys coordination efforts between researchers and managers and more support for this podcast comes from a grant from the joint fire science program Special thanks to the University of Florida, Tall Timbers Research Station, and North Carolina State University. Music by David Bergen. If you would like to share your feedback from the show today, or if you have an idea for a future episode, email us at contact us at southernfireexchange.org.